So we're going to talk about uh, our experience in integrating a discipleship course into an educational program. Uh, I'm Roger Barnett. This is my wife, Jane Barnett. We are with Surge. Uh, that's our mission agency. Um, I'm an anesthesiologist and intensivist and uh, actually also boarded in internal medicine. But at Kajabi, I practice and teach anesthesiology to uh, nurse anesthetist students. Uh, we're talking about creating a residency uh, there, but we haven't done that yet. Ginny is uh, involved in infection control at Kajabi Hospital, and we're both involved in uh, discipleship training, uh, both at Kajabi and in previous iterations of our life here in the U.S. These are the learning objectives. I'm not going to read these to you. They're available either in your book or on the web, but um, you know, certainly feel free to go back and take a look at them if they, if they have interest to you. Uh, what we wanted to do this morning was uh, talk a little bit about where we work, <coughs> talk about what we've learned about the culture in East Africa, how that's impacted how, how we've taught discipleship, and uh, then go over the specifics of what we did in terms of training. And Ginny will give you some in-depth examples from the material we used. Uh, and then we want to just share with you the feedback we've had from our students as we've gone through discipleship training with some of the nurse anesthetist students. Finally, we'll, we'll, we'll open it up to questions, and um, we would love to hear from people in the audience that have also had experience in terms of discipleship training overseas. So we are in Kajabi, Kenya. Uh, this is a mission hospital about an hour and a half uh, drive northwest of Nairobi. It's in rural Kenya. It's uh, overlooking the, uh, the Rift Valley. It sits on the escarpment, an elevation of a little bit over 7,000 feet. Absolutely beautiful climate, except for the two or three months of the cold, rainy season, and uh, gorgeous views. Kajabi Hospital is a 300-plus uh, bed hospital. It's uh, been in existence for a little over 100 years. Uh, eight operating rooms, 100,000 outpatient visits a year, um, eight to eight to ten thousand surgical procedures a year, and um, it's it's a it's a training uh, center in East Africa. So we have we have residencies there, we have fellowships, and we have a we have the uh, what uh, used to be the only nurse anesthetist program in East Africa. We have now started satellite programs in other countries and in other areas of Kenya. So there are now more than more than just a Kajabi nurse anesthetist program. So let me talk, tell you a little bit about what we learned as we, as we started to do this. The vast majority of the uh, people, uh, the Kenyans we interact with, identify as Christians. But interestingly, when we started to uh, interact with our nurse anesthetist students and ask them uh, to define for us and explain to us the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, it was very difficult for them to, to do that you know, in a way that, that had any kind of clarity attached to it. There was a, a strong emphasis on, on keeping the law, uh, on, on, on legalism. Uh, actions were more important, it seemed, than, than anything else. And there were only, actually out of a class of 23, there were only uh, one or two who were able to articulate uh, the gospel. Um, you know, as we thought about this, you know, part of this, I think, is that uh, in, the, in the local church, which we attend, uh, people do uh, tend to tend to get uh, uh, mis mixed messages in terms of uh, the gospel at times. We've heard really great sermons there uh, explaining the gospel, but we've also had visiting pastors who have come and, and talked about really prosperity 
uh, the prosperity gospel, which is that if you believe in Jesus, you'll never suffer. There'll be great things happening to you, uh, good material things, and God will protect you from all suffering. So um, I think there is some confusion there uh, at a couple of different levels. When we talked to one of our Kenyan hospital chaplains about this, trying to understand uh, kind of the mixed message and the confusion, he told us that the uh, pagan belief system that existed in that area prior to the gospel coming uh, really, um, you know, was very similar in that you were rewarded or punished, you know, based on whether or not you disappointed or pleased the gods or the local witch doctor. So there, there, there was this kind of underlying um, belief system which predicated on good actions. And so I guess it's not a terrible, terribly, uh, you know, great surprise that there, there might be some confusion, uh, you know, still uh, in terms of the gospel. So <clears throat> the training was divided into the three sections. Sue Newton, who is the wife of uh, Mark Newton, uh, the only other anesthesiologist at Kajabi, um, you know, spent some time talking uh, about the, the basics of the gospel. She tried to help the students see that even in the Old Testament, the people of God were saved by faith and not by actions. It wasn't their deeds that placed them in the role of the saints uh, in Hebrews. It was their faith. And and as Hebrews 11.2 tells us, it was the act of faith that distinguished us from our ancestors. And then um, Jeannie and I uh, spent 10 weeks going over the Gospel-Centered Life Discipleship course. And um, we really used that as a way to explain the depth and the breadth and the the richness of the gospel and and how it can impact our individual hearts and and really do that on a daily basis. And we're going to talk uh, more about that in just a couple minutes. The Kairos course is an interactive course, um, and it really is uh, focused on uh, inspiring and challenging Christians to, to, to live out the gospel in terms of mission and in terms of, of reaching uh, out to people who have never, never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this is kind of the sequence that we went through with, with the, the most recent nurse anesthetist class at Kajabi. <clears throat> so, um, you know, Sue uh, spent about eight weeks talking with the students about the gospel, and she shared with us that even after that, they were having a difficult time of grasping uh, the role of faith and the role of grace in the gospel. So, so we decided to begin our part of, of this by really just talking about how big the gospel was uh, because we do have a tendency, I think, to, to truncate the gospel into a few uh, theological concepts. And really, you know, the richness of it and the depth of it is really truly amazing. So I, I started out, um, you know, this uh, course with a story about a Kenyan man. And I had shared this uh, story uh, a few months earlier at a continuing medical education course north of Kajabi. It was attended by about 100 um, uh, practitioners, uh, anesthesiologists, residents, and and Kenyan registered nurse anesthetists. But the story was about a Kenyan man who found himself in extreme debt. He owed money to his friends, to his family, uh, to to the local bank. And, and uh, he was in such trouble debt, he was despondent over it. He, he wasn't able to come up with any way of ever getting out of this debt. And one day, as he was sitting in his very small house, uh, a man came into his house and gave him a note. And, and the man just turned around and walked out. And, and the note said, you know, I, I, have, I have erased all of your debts. I have repaid everything you owe. And, you know, the man had, he didn't know what to do with this. He had a few minutes left on his Airtel SIM card, so he, you know, after pondering this for some period of time, he called his bank and, and discovered that, indeed, his, his debt had been paid. It was wiped out. 
And he, he really didn't, didn't know what to do with this information. It really surprised him. But the very next day, uh, a man again walked into his house, handed him another note, and said, I, I have now deposited 100 million Kenyan shillings into your bank account. Well, at this point, the man no longer had any money on his Airtel card, so he ended up walking to the bank, about an hour and a half walk, stood in line for a long time, and then discovered that, indeed, he, he was a rich man, that, that he had a huge amount of money in his bank account that, that had been given to him somehow. <clears throat> I, you know, I flesh this out in a little bit greater detail and, and try to make it culturally relevant, but the last part of the story is, um, you know, uh, once again, a man enters his house, gives him a note, and, and the note says, I am the richest man in the world. I have adopted you as my son, and everything I own is now yours. And, and so I went through this story with this class of, of, uh, of students, and at the end of the story, I said to them, does, does this remind you of any story you've heard, any other story you've ever heard? You know, when I did this at the CME course, I had about 100 people in the audience. Nobody raised a hand. With our student class, one person raised their hand and said, you know, I think it kind of sounds like the gospel. You know, and we told them that's exactly right. You know, we have forgiveness of sins, but we also have the righteousness of Christ credited to our accounts, and we've been adopted. We've been adopted as sons and daughters of, of, of God. So, um, you know, it was, it was just a way of, of kind of trying to introduce to them that uh, the gospel isn't just the gate into which we enter, you know, the Christian life. It's a, it's a path we walk on a daily basis. And it's really, it's really amazing in terms of the depth of it, the richness of it, and the fact that it, it, it just shows how God wants a, a relationship with us on a day-by-day basis. So we, we use the gospel-centered life to, uh, in, our, in the next nine weeks to, to focus on heart issues and, and to focus on really walking uh, through life uh, using, using the gospel on a daily basis. So Jeannie's going to talk a little bit about uh, that, that curriculum. Okay. Still connected? connected. <laughs> all right. I don't know how this is all going to work. Too many uh, wires here. We'll see how this goes. Um, okay. Gospel-centered life uh, is material that was developed by two pastors who were using the Sonship course, which was developed by the um, founder of our organization. Uh, the problem with the Sonship course is it's very long. Um, It takes you eight months to go through it, and you have to have someone who's been through it already. So um, what um, what these pastors decided is they decided to condense it into a nine-week course that could be taught by people who didn't know the Sonship material, um, and they gave it this kind of a structure. There's one main idea. Um, There's a scripture that that idea comes from, There's an article that expands the information um, and the concept that they're talking about. And then there's discussion um, about the scripture, the article, and there's an activity at the end. And the whole idea is to help you see the power of the gospel in your life. Okay, It's not just a bunch of concepts um, and definitions, but that it's the gospel really has power to change your life and has power to... Uh, make an impact um, in the way that you relate to God and the way that you relate to other people. Um, the other thing we really liked about the course is there was a lot of self-reflection um, questions incorporated into the study. 
So logistically, what we did every week is a lot of our students didn't have Bibles. So each week we emailed the verses to them. And since I like to read the whole chapter, um, I would send them the chapters that were associated with the verses and just highlight the verses that we were using. Um, We used a PowerPoint um, just to put the information on. Normally this this study is done in a small group of people. Everybody has a book. Uh, and you read um, the Bible verse, you read the article. Uh, in the setting that we were in, there were too many. Pe- there were a lot of people. Not everybody had the book. Um, the other thing we were concerned about is, um, you know, sometimes we might talk fast. Uh, people might have a hard time understanding our accent. <clears throat> so we thought that if they could read the material and listen to us at the same time, that might be helpful. Okay, this is just a list of the Gospel Center Life content. It looks at, the first section is, what is the gospel? Um, And we look at the gospel grid, which is just um, a way to look at the gospel and to talk about it. Uh, The second chapter is on pretending and performing. Um, And then we have believing the gospel. Uh, The second section looks at, what does the gospel do in us? So we talk about the law and gospel, repentance and heart idolatry. And then the last section is how does the gospel work through us? So we're looking at mission, forgiveness, and then conflict. How do you have conflict in a healthy way and get to a healthy resolution? Okay, one of the things um, that we had some misgivings about is this course – Uh, really does look at the heart. It tries to help you look at um, the sin in your life, what's going on, um, how the gospel gospel can meet you in some of those hard places. Um, And again, this is done, we've done this in America with a very small group, eight to ten people. Most of them, um, they often know each other, they feel comfortable with each other. Um, And Americans overall are pretty comfortable with sitting in a group and sharing things that are going on in their lives. We weren't sure how that would translate um, in Kenya. Uh, This group was larger. Um, These people were pretty much strangers to each other. They came from all different parts of Kenya. They were from different tribes. Um, And... Uh, We were asking them, we were going to be asking them to be transparent with um, one of the heads of their department and his wife. So we were afraid that that might be a little intimidating. Um, So to set the, um, so we decided that um, it was really important for us to be transparent right from the beginning. We wanted to set a tone um, for the time together. We wanted there to be um, a really safe place where they could share. So um, in the past, when I have done, we've done this material, I usually open up um, with a story um, about a time I was doing this uh, with a young woman from our church. And um, to give you some background so you understand why it, it was, it was uh, sort of a funny thing, The first lesson talks about the gospel grid, and you look at minimizing the gospel. And the activity at the end talks about um, how we're judgmental. 
um, and looking at how that minimizes the gospel. So we were sitting in a cafe. Um, I live in Philadelphia. And um, I had read the article the morning because we had done a class at church. It was very noisy. So I said to her, Emily, you just read this article. Um, We'll sit and eat lunch, and then we'll talk when you're done. So um, I'm sitting there, and this is a part of Philadelphia that's very young. So you see a lot of colored hair, a lot of tattoos, a lot of piercings. And to my left... Uh, there was someone who was out of character. Um, it was a gentleman, older gentleman with a toupee. He had gray hair sticking out of the back. He had, uh, you know, a big, thick gold chain around his neck. And without even thinking, I start, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, what is wrong with this guy? You know, what is his problem? Why can't he grow old gracefully? You know, what is he doing with that toupee? And a little voice in my head says to me, Gee, Ginny, how is that different from you coloring your hair? And the thing that, um, the, the thing that was really funny about that is I was so surprised by that. I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm going to be talking to this young girl and doing this exercise on being judgmental. And I'm just, I'm sitting here not even thinking about it, and the first thing I'm doing is being judgmental. And then I'm surprised by it. So I like to tell this story because, first of all, we all get to laugh at the fact that I was really surprised at how sinful my heart was. Um, but it also, I think, helps to set the tone and let people know that we, we are sinners. We don't want to be sinners. We're saved by grace. But these things just bubble out of our hearts. Okay, and then the question is, what do we do with them? And I think um, one of the things that uh, this material helps us do is look at um, what do we do with all, all, these, um, all the sin in our hearts? Um, and how do we let the gospel make an impact in those areas of our life? Uh-oh, sorry. Okay, so this is um, called the cross chart or the gospel grid. And this is explained in the beginning of the material. And it's just basically... We look at the fact, um, as we grow in our faith, our understanding of God's holiness grows and our understanding of our sin grows. And it's the gospel that really makes a difference and bridges that gap. Um, We see this dynamic um, with Paul and his understanding of his sinfulness. We see in 1 Corinthians, he says, For I am the least of the apostles. So he's taking a pretty small elite group and saying, all right, out of this group of people, I'm the the least. And then we see later in Ephesians 3.8, he says, though I am the very least of the saints. So now he's looking at the saints and he's saying, okay, my sinful heart puts me way on the least of the saints. And then at 1 Timothy 1.15, he says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst. 
So you can see that there's a progression here, that he is having a deeper understanding of his sinfulness, and I would expect of God's holiness. Okay, so ideally, as we have a a growing understanding of God's holiness and a growing understanding of our sinfulness, the gospel continues to bridge the gap. The, the, The understanding of God's grace, of his forgiveness, of the fact that we have Christ's righteousness, our understanding of those things also grows, so we continue to bridge the gap between between those two things. Um, But what often happens is we shrink the cross. And when we talk about shrinking the cross, we're talking about living a life of unbelief. Uh, We're not saying that um, we're not believing the gospel. We're not saying that uh, we're... um, not saved, uh, that we don't believe the gospel in its essence, but what we're saying is we lack an understanding of the gospel and our identity in the gospel. Um, Instead of relying on the assurance of forgiveness, that we're clothed in Christ's righteousness, that our Father loves us and has promised um, to finish the good work in us, we tend to rely um, on our own devices. Okay? And what we're looking at in this particular chapter is the pretending and performing. We use um, things in our own lives uh, to bridge that gap. Okay, so pretending, we minimize our sin, and we act like it's really not as bad as it is. And then in performing, we minimize God's holiness And we act like if we're really good, we can meet his standard. I'm sorry, I always get that. Okay, so I'm going to take a little snapshot from each of the sections of this lesson on pretending and performing. Just so you get an idea of the kinds of questions that the students were asking and... um, and how the material really helps them look at how the gospel can work in their lives and bridge that gap. Okay, so the scripture used to to define the idea in in this lesson is uh, Luke 18, 9 through 14, and that's the passage where you have the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee is really minimizing God's holiness. He believes that if he can do, that he is doing everything he needs to do um, to be perfect in God's sight. In fact, he says he's glad he's not like this sinner. Okay, totally not understanding that he also is a sinner. And then you have the tax collector who really doesn't have an understanding of God's love and is really beating himself up. So what this asks the students to do is to put themselves in the place of the Pharisee and the tax collector and to ask themselves questions about um, which do they identify with, um, which is most like 
your heart, what you think about yourself, and then what do you like or dislike about the idea of being a Pharisee or a tax collector. So it's really trying to help um, the students put their um, themselves into the story. All right, now the article um, then tries to expand on the idea of what does performing look like and what does pretending look like. So one of the um, things it does is it asks the students to discern their subtle tendencies toward pretending by asking themselves this question. What do you count on to give yourself um, a, a sense of credibility, validity, acceptance, or good understanding? Then um, it gives them examples. Do you depend on job righteousness? All right. Um, I'm a hard worker, so God will reward me. Um, theological righteousness. I have good theology, so God prefers me over people with bad theology. All right. And then in the discussion questions, you actually have an opportunity to discuss which one of those you relate to um, and how that plays out um, in your life. But also, one of the things that was really important with, with these students is our students live on campus, so they live together. And um, we found out that uh, during the course of, of this material, as we're going through the lessons, they were really, really good at talking about how the other sin impacted them. Uh, but they didn't have um, a really... Uh, sort of a lens for which to see how their sin was impacting other people. And one of the things that was really helpful through, with this material is they started having to look at their own hearts and how their behavior impacted the people that they were working with and the people that they were living with. Um, so, um, and then the, the, the second question here. Uh, the first question is, how are you relating to other people? The second question sort of helps you look at how your pretending and performing impacts your relationship with God. So what we ask them is, if God were here right now and he were looking at you, what would be the expression on his face? Okay, and I know when I was asked that question, I thought God was looking at me with disappointment. And I really had to, uh, with, with the mentor that I was working with, recognize that um, I was depending on my performance. You know, God was disappointed in me because my relationship with him was being based on what I was doing, how I was performing. Was I doing what I thought he wanted me to do with my life? Okay. Instead of my position... Um, with him. You know, I am forgiven. I have Christ's righteousness so that when he looks at me, he sees Christ in whom he is well pleased. We know that from scripture. And that I am, I am really a beloved daughter. And so when he looks at me, it's not with disappointment on his face. It's not with um, uh, because I'm not meeting all these expectations. He's looking at me um, with love and compassion. Um, 
And that was, you know, for people who uh, live in a very rural and hierarchical um, community, that's a really powerful thing um, to look at and to understand. Okay, now the activity, when we're talking about pretending and performing, um, talks about asking them to give, them, give um, a rule that you make for yourself. Now, we all have rules. Um, okay, one of my rules is I think you should put a toothbrush um, in a dish or a cup. Um, Roger tends to like to leave his on the side of the sink, um, and it drives me nuts. And I'm always telling him, you need to put your toothbrush uh, you know, in the cup, or I'm always taking his toothbrush and sticking it in a cup. All right, silly, silly, silly little thing, but it is something that impacts my relationship with Roger because he is always disappointing me. Um, so this is an opportunity for them to look at the rules that they had made. And they had made, you know, they're all living together, and they had made a lot of rules. And the big problem was none of the other students were following the other students' rules. So there was a lot of bitterness and resentment uh, growing um, within the group that was spilling over into not just their home life, but into other areas um, in their work life. Okay, so... Oh, I'll keep hitting the wrong button. All right, so um, the other thing I want to talk about, that's looking at the gospel, or that's looking at the pretending and performing uh, chapter. But some of the other things that really had an impact um, were the chapter on the law and gospel. When we talked about, um, when we looked at, when we talked about the chapter on law and gospel, we looked at the passage in Matthew 22, 35, where Jesus asked, what's the most important commandment? And um, Jesus says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and your neighbor as yourselves. And this was the first time that the students had thought about the Ten Commandments as anything other than a list of rules. Okay, they were put in a relational context. Um, that really made them start starting to think about how um, it's not just what I'm doing um, and whether I'm doing right or wrong. It's how I'm impacting and lo loving other people. And, and that was a big bridge um, or a big gap that was bridged while we were doing this material because over and over and over again in these lessons, it wasn't just about what you believe and how you act but it was, how are you loving your neighbor? How are, you, how are your sins impacting the people in your life? And it was really powerful. Um, Roger's going to talk about the uh, dessert night we had with the students and the feedback that we got. And it really made a difference. They were really able to see the power of the gospel um, working in their hearts and changing them. Okay, and the other thing is the work of the gospel. Um, we talked about the fact that um, their understanding initially of the gospel, when they talked about it, it was a lot of rules. You know, if you're a Christian, you do this. 
Um, and when we went over this verse in John 6:29, where Jesus is asked, what is the work of the gospel? Um, and Jesus says to him, this is the work of God, that you believe on him who God had sent. And this is one of the things that Sue had really been trying to help them understand as she was trying to explain that the gospel is not just in the New Testament, but it's in the Old Testament, that Abraham was saved by faith, you know, that Moses walked by faith. Um, and, and again, they were surprised by this. This was something uh, that they really hadn't um, had, uh, had talked about um, previously. Okay, and then um, repentance. The repentance chapter talks about false repentance and genuine repentance. And um, one of the things the uh, one of the students talked about was the fact that you know if I ask a guy to forgive me, the guy forgives me and he forgets, and I never hear about it again. But if I ask a woman to forgive me. No, no way am I forgiven. I always hear about it two weeks down the road. And so one of the things we were able to talk about is the fact that often women understand that you're really not that sorry. You know, the question you have to ask, is this really genuine repentance, or are you trying to get her off your back? Are you trying to placate her? Do you just want peace? Or is it genuine repentance? So this idea that you could have a false repentance was something that they had never thought about before. Um, And again, I think that when they talked to us about how um, things changed, uh, you know, their understanding of repentance was really becoming a part of their lives. They were really trying to learn how to repent well with each other. All right, and finally, the other thing was forgiveness. Um, Forgiveness, uh, the forgiveness chapter at the end um, looked at, uh, asked them to to identify someone they needed to forgive. And they were asked, once you figure out who you need to forgive, think about what disturbs you the most about that person what issues of justice are involved, um, what conditions you want that person to meet before you'll you'll forgive them. Um, And then it asks them to think about their indebtedness to God. How had they sinned against God? Um, And it asks them to take a lot of time with this. Well, the interesting thing was um, when we got together the following week, we were told that, uh, and this was the only homework assignment they got um, while we were doing this course. So they, they were kidding each other. Oh, yeah, I saw so-and-so in the corner writing intently, you know, totally oblivious to everything that was going on, and I knew they were writing the forgiveness homework. Okay. And, again, um, when we talked about this, they talked about how, you know, one girl talked about how she didn't speak to her brother. She hated her brother. 
but um, after do- going through this exercise, she realized that she had been forgiven a great debt and that even though she might not like her brother, may not want to spend time with her brother, she realized that she did need to start praying about forgiving her brother and letting God take her down that path to see where where it would lead. Okay, and then now Roger's going to talk about the dessert night with the students. We should probably have labeled this slide feedback, but a couple of weeks after this course was over, we, we had the students over to our place for a dessert night. And, uh, you know, we just had a couple of hours where we could uh, have some dessert and have some chai and kahawa together and, uh, and talk about, uh, you know, uh, this course, you know, what was good, what was bad, what impacted them, what didn't. So it was interesting. One of the things they said to us that was that transparency was very new to them. You know, it, it, in, in the Kenyan culture, the Kenyan society, you know, it's very unusual uh, for them to have uh, someone who's one of their teachers or professors uh, interact with them uh, in the way we've interacted with, had interacted with them. He sa- they said it was, it's very likely, you know, you pass a professor in the hallway, they, they won't even look at you, let alone, you know, acknowledge you in some way. So, so the fact that we um, met with them, we shared our hearts with them, we told them we had the same struggles they did, was very new, and, and also gave them permission to share their hearts. So they, they viewed it as very positive. And the same thing with our relationship with them and the hospitality we, we offered them, that was, uh, that was different. Um, a number of students, I think the vast majority, said that this, was, uh, this study was different uh, as a Bible study because it was the first one that had really focused on their heart and, and really, really had them look in depth at their, at their heart and some of the hard issues that they struggled with. Um, and, and almost all of them uniformly uh, really valued the tongue exercise. The tongue exercise was uh, homework uh, one week where the students were instructed during the coming week, you, you cannot use your tongue to criticize, to gossip, to say anything negative about anyone. Uh, you can't defend yourself unless, you know, in certain situations, maybe if you're stopped by the police, you should defend yourself. But you should use your tongue only to edify and to communicate. And um, three of the students said, you know, we, we flunked that exercise before we even left the classroom that morning. We'd already broken, we'd already broken that. And, and nobody, nobody actually got through the week without discovering that it was uh, impossible to tame the tongue. We asked them very specifically about cross-cultural issues because this is material that, that was created in the U.S., you know, and we asked them, how, how does this apply to, to Kenyan culture and, and to, to all of you? Did, you know, was, this, was this something that you found useful? Did you find there were problems in terms of some of the stories uh, culturally? And, and they said no. They said it applied uh, really well. Uh, and and one, of the, one of the students said the human heart is the same regardless of what, what country you happen to be in. And they also liked the sequence we had where, um, you know, after the uh, gospel-centered living, which focused on the heart, they then almost immediately went into a course on Kairos, which is really outward-looking and mission-based. And they thought that sequence, you know, of really examining your heart and then, and then moving outward to, to share the gospel, to reach uh, people that have never heard the gospel, they thought that was, was very, very useful. Um, they, they described to us a change of heart. They, they talked about the fact that they had found themselves uh, to be competitive, to be judgmental and critical of each other, 
And this is in the context of a, of a fairly uh, competitive educational system. Um, they found themselves to be at times bitter and resentful of each other. And part of this is, is within the context of them living with each other, you know, in kind of dorm settings. Um, but, but they found that, that, that um, they, they had now the, the, the actual culture of the class had changed. And for those of you that have, have been in, in, you know, in classes, you know, whether it's college or high school or medical school, you know, you know there's a certain tone to a class. And, and they had found that, that their class had really dramatically changed. They were much more encouraging of one another. They, they didn't believe if, if, if they were putting somebody down that was raising them up, kind of the seesaw principle of life. Um, and they, they said it felt really a whole lot more uh, like a family. So they, they really felt they had experienced the, uh, the power of the gospel in the individual hearts, and that had changed collectively the tone, the tone within, the, within that class. <clears throat> We asked them uh, what problems there were and what we could do better uh, next time we did this. One of the things they mentioned was that we had, we had led one of the classes on a day where they had an entire day of exams. And they said, going into the future, you probably should look at the schedule and, and not, not try to have one of the chapters discussed on an exam day because none of us could focus and we really didn't get a whole lot out of that day. Um, and then they, we started this probably six months into an 18-month uh, course. That's how long their course is. They, they said they, they really thought we should start it earlier in, in the academic year. And uh, they, they thought it was such a value to them in, in, as a sense of, of them being a, a community of students that they, they, they would have been grateful if that had happened earlier. So th- they were very useful comments, and we were very appreciative of, of them coming and, and sharing, sharing those, uh, those issues with us. And, and the things that, that I think um, we believe had the most impact, we really do believe transparency is, is huge. I can, I can remember myself as a young Christian, you know, as you hear, you know, pastors, you know, from the, from the pulpit sharing struggles that I myself have. You know, there's something very powerful in, in hearing that, you know, in realizing that, that uh, we, we all have those struggles. Um, you know, the relationship and hospitality with the students, we thought that was, that was excellent, that, uh, that they thought that had such an impact. Um, the structure that helped the student, you know, you've got to recognize that, you know, the Internet in East Africa is intermittent at best at times, and, and there is an Internet service in the hospital. Most of the time it doesn't really work well, as, as Bert and Lee can attest to, because uh, it used to drive Bert and crazy. But, um, you know, emailing, emailing the information ahead of time, having it all in the PowerPoint so they could hear it and read it simultaneously, you know, having that kind of structure, uh, you know, acknowledge the fact that we weren't in a, in a perfect setting in terms of communicating uh, this material. We integrated scripture and discussion throughout the lesson. What I mean by that is we told them, you can interrupt us at any point to ask questions. And, and that turned out to be very good, and that really helped stimulate some, some really good questions that, that then engaged other students and led to lots of opportunities for uh, self-reflection. And, and also, you know, we've said this already, but, but the sequence of the course uh, I, I think was really good. The students told us how good that was, and that is something we would, we would intend to replicate uh, going forward with other classes. So that's really our experience uh, in, in uh, you know, a small way of uh, integrating discipleship training with an educational program in East Africa uh, we're happy to answer any questions you might have and certainly would, would love to hear of any experiences you've had in, in similar ways or perhaps in different ways in, in integrating discipleship into other aspects of, of your ministry. Thank you.
Oh, I, and be, before I answer questions, I'm supposed to tell you that, that Surge, our mission agency, is having a dinner tonight at 5.30 at the Mellow Mushroom. Anybody who's interested in learning more about Surge as a mission agency is invited to come to dinner. And, and um, There are cards over there with the information, so you can pick one up. Good. And we have, we're doing this again at one at one twenty. If anybody wants to hear it over again. <laughs> um, kind of two questions. One, um, did you find that um, being transparent and having, like, how did that, how did you situate that within the teacher-student power relationship? Um, and like, did you find that there was any negative problems where, you know, you had less respect from students because you had been more transparent with them or that, uh, I don't know, just, yeah. Yeah, no, we, we, didn't, we didn't find that. I mean, um, you know, we, we tried to give examples early on, you know, so there would be a freedom to share. You know, and, and uh, as, as Ginny said, you know, we're, we're often surprised by this. I mean, I, I don't know if you remember, but the, the Apostle Paul talks about how I wouldn't know what coveting was if there wasn't, you know, if, I, if it hadn't been in the law not to covet. You know, and I, I don't know about you, but I can just visualize Paul saying, you know, well, I haven't murdered. I, I honored my mother and my father. You know, I haven't committed adultery. And then you kind of get down to coveting and you think, oh, yeah, you know, I, I've kind of blown it there. So, I mean, this is very common for all of us to have thoughts or, you know, even actions, you know, lash out at people verbally and then, and then think, where did that come from? Well, you know, it came from a fallen sinful heart. So we didn't really find that, I think, and, and I think that's because there was a recognition, yeah, that's what my heart's like. Why wouldn't his heart be like that? So there, there wasn't a loss of respect. What we found was that it, that it encouraged a sharing and encouraged an openness that I, I, I wonder, I, I really seriously doubt would have been there otherwise. And, and then the, the other thing, actually, actually, it was during those times when we were sharing, you know, um, Roger shared a story about how he used to pray going down Broad Street um, to work, and he'd be having this great time of worship, this great time of prayer, and somebody would cut him off. And then the next thing you know, he's cursing the guy who, who cut him off. And he's it, like, it only happened once, but I can tell you, my heart <laughs> turned on a dime. <laughs> You know, so he's saying, you know, oh my gosh, I'm having this great time of worship. And just like that, you know, my mouth is doing the total opposite. And, and the students love that because they laugh. The times that we shared, you know, our sin and our struggles were the times that we all had a really good laugh. Either because uh, we're like, you know, can you believe that? We're surprised by it. Or they could all relate to it. And, you know, you're telling this story, and immediately they're thinking of a time that that happened to them. So it really, um, it really encouraged them. I think we had one woman in our class who was a nun. Um, and, you know, when we got to the talk on repentance, it became really evident that repentance wasn't even really a strong part of her theology because she was not allowed to sin. She was expected to be perfect. Okay? And, and so talking about our sin and our need to repent, I think that began to lift a little bit of that weight off of her shoulders 
And I think it was the first time that she started to think about the fact that it was okay if she wasn't perfect. You know, that repentance, you know, returning to God is, you know, is what God wanted um, and, and that there was a way back. You know that it wasn't the end of the world if she if she sinned or if people saw her sinning. Yeah. So. That didn't translate into people not <coughs> following orders or disrespecting the No. No, not at all. Yeah. No. I think I think you were next. Yeah. This is a little outside of what you were talking about, but one thing I'm I'm wondering is how how you guys got your audience. It sounds a little bit like maybe you had a captive audience. Is we that, did. Is that so I've got, I guess I'm here to explore, I guess, different ways people do ministry in the yeah. mission field. And as you guys are kind of tent makers, um, I'm wondering what, what's good about the test, well, I'll just call it a captive audience approach for now. Um, what was good, what was bad, um, and I guess maybe what you learned from it. Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the good things, of course, is that there is an expectation at Kajabi that, that the students uh, are Christian and that they, they, they will not just be involved in educational programs, but also that, that you know, part of, of, uh, of, of uh, being a, a mature Christian, practicing professionally, is, is discipleship, is Bible study. So that, that is good. That is good that we have that opportunity to go to them. And, and I understand that if you're in a different setting and perhaps a different culture, a different country, that there may not be that openness, there may not be that obligation, and then you'd have to approach it in different ways, perhaps more on a, on a one-to-one kind of relationship as opposed to a group relationship, which, which we were fortunate to be able to be able to have. And I don't know if there's anybody else in, in the audience who has done this in other settings that could, that could better address this question, but it is a good question because all we're giving you is a snapshot of what we've done, and we recognize that it will look very different depending on the, the other countries and the other cultures that we're, we're talking about. Right, and we are going to sort of... Um, begin using some of this material with groups that aren't captive. Um, one of the first things we did is I went to one of the chaplains who sort of oversees discipleship for the staff, and he went through the material. We talked about, you know, is there anything we should change? Um, and he was really excited about the material and wants to um, use it in some of the life groups that they have. Um, on the campus, um, he actually started, he piloted a group um, in the business department um, to see how uh, some of the staff in the hospital did with the material. So we'll, we will see in the future, you know, how people respond in a setting uh, where they don't necessarily have to do it because it's part of their training. Um, I was wondering how old the students in the class were, if they were, like, varying age ranges. Yeah, the majority were kind of mid-20s to maybe early 30s, but there were uh, a couple of people probably in their, in their mid-40s. Okay, and do you think that the, like, the material would be good for a little bit younger, like high schoolers? I'll let, I'll let my wife answer that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I know we have gospel-centered life. I'm, I'm asking the search folks to help me. Do we have one for teenagers, or do we still use? Oh, what's up? Okay, what's up, yeah. So we, they have gospel-centered life in the community. Um, what's up for the kids? Okay. Yeah, so. 
teens that was uh, by Surge and all of the high school students that we did it with absolutely loved that study. Okay. It was so relevant to them. And these were a lot of the missionary kids that have kind of grown up in the church, but just the way that they presented the entire um, shortened version of what Jimmy and um, Roger did was so helpful for them. I mean, I loved it even as an adult. Yeah. But um, I think Surge gives it to you as a PDF. And okay. And all that. So if you want to get it, it's actually called Gospel Center Like the Keys. Okay. Something like that. So I haven't heard what's up, but the one that we did was called Gospel Center Like the Keys. It was phenomenal. Okay. I, mean, I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. This course helped. I am, you know, ignorant of the kind of local church situation and where y'all are coming from. Did you find this helped with integration and participation in the local body there? Um, I don't know if they already are active in the local church, but how does that, how do those things work together? How do you see them Yeah, that that actually. Um is kind of in some ways not applicable. The majority of these students uh, don't live in Kajabi. They live uh, elsewhere. They, they come to Kajabi for the week. They live there the entire week for training. If they're not on call, they'll go back home to their family and to their, in their original community. And, in fact, part of, part of what Mark has done strategically in terms of accepting nurse anesthetist students is looking where there are needs in Kenya and accepting people from there, recognizing they will then go back to those communities and be able to provide safe anesthesia care. So, so um, it, it's kind of not applicable in some ways. There, there are individual mentoring relationships my wife and I have had with people in the community that I think, I think does, impact, uh, does impact the church. But I, I think in this setting, the answer would be probably no. I see an audiologist back there. <laughs> So do you mean you mean in, in terms of work ethic and, and bringing it into the, into the into the OR or? Yeah, I, I think it certainly would. I mean, we didn't. I didn't specifically have conversations like that, but I certainly, I certainly think it would. It would give you those opportunities. I don't know if you want to. No, I think, um, I think 
because we're talking about the, you know, so much of it is um, really trying to move people away from relying on the law and their behavior and looking at, you know, sort of moving away from the prosperity gospel, which says if you're doing something wrong, uh, then, you know, this is why you have, like you said, your child might have a disability. So I, I think it lays a foundation for those conversations, um, though in this particular course, that's not what we were looking at. But actually, um, you know, it might be worth thinking about adding an additional uh, course that helps people look at that, helps students look at that, or incorporating it some way into this. Yeah, that's very, very good. Okay, does anybody have any um, experiences um, that they'd like to share or things that they've done? That's good. I think I think we're we're running out of time. So thank you so much for attending. We appreciate it, and uh, have a great rest of meeting.